Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode on Raza, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, with your host, Grace Hopper. It was once said that the entire population of the world could fit onto the Isle of Wight. This was back in the 1960s, when the global population was 3 billion. In less than three decades, the population surpassed 5 billion in 1987. Today, another three decades later, there are nearly 8 billion people in the world. They will still all fit onto the Isle of Wight, although there will be a lot less room for each person. Throughout history, people have always migrated, but with climate change, decimating large tracts of the planet and rendering them uninhabitable, mass migration will increase exponentially as drought, floods, storms and food shortages force increasing numbers of people to head to more temperate climes. War, persecution, turmoil, lack of work are factors which only exacerbate the misery of predominantly poor and destitute. Modern humans will never have ventured beyond East Africa unless they adopted the urge to migrate and never stopped adapting to life in even the most inhospitable environments on the borderline between extreme hot and extreme cold, the survival zones on the borderline of human endurance. What is certain is that these migrants will face hostility from those already occupying the land they are moving to as the competition for depleting resources increases, creating even more conflict. The migrants of the future will number in their hundreds of thousands and even millions as they move north and south to escape a future of negligible opportunities. In her 2014 book, Adventures in the Anthropocene, Gia Vance details how humans have irreversibly altered the planet over the past 200 years, beyond anything it had experienced in its 4.5 billion year history. In her latest book, Norman's Century, she makes the entirely plausible claim that instead of the 1.5 centigrade increase in global temperatures that climate scientists are aiming for, the Earth will be 4 centigrade warmer with significant and devastating consequences for every person on the planet, especially those who live in equatorial regions. Large swaths of the globe will become uninhabitable due to drought, storms, wildfires, floods and rising sea levels, resulting in not millions but billions of people migrating to temperate climes. Vance posits that over the forthcoming years and decades, more and more people will migrate not from equatorial regions towards more temperate zones and settle in less densely populated countries, such as Canada and Russia, whether those countries like it or not. It is only recently that political boundaries have been erected to prevent or try and prevent people moving unchecked around the planet and whatever means are adopted, they are prone to failure. The tide of humanity will continue to arrive in the countries they access because there is no practical way short of physically preventing migration with extreme acts of violence, which even the most ardent opponent of perceived invasion would balk at pursuing. The antagonism 
directed towards all aspects of mass migration and the current hysteria directed towards asylum seekers and those which support them shows no sign of abating, while politicians and the media persistently plug the language of knee-jerk euthorics to demonizing refugees and asylum seekers arriving on the shores of the UK, aggravating an already demoralized and anxious population worried about the cost of living and cuts to public funds. Despite being an island nation without a land border, unlike most other countries, the UK is in an unenviable position as befits a migrant destination for two very good reasons that often appear oblivious to large segments of the population. A long history of invasion, conquest and colonization of other people's countries and the lingua franca of the English language. Unsurprisingly, Arch-Brexiter and self-appointed authority on immigration into the UK, Nigel Farage, was fuming and hyperventilating over the airwaves after being invited to comment on BBC Radio 4 as written by Laura Webster in the National Dailies on 31st of October 2022. With the plight of those crossing the channel in focus on Monday, the public broadcaster decided to invite Farage onto its World at One show. The former MEP has regularly used his GB News programs to stoke fears over people crossing the channel. The number of people making this trip is at a record level. The problem isn't that Maston isn't big enough. The problem certainly isn't that the Home Office didn't book hotel rooms. Hotel rooms are booked all over the country. The problem is the sheer numbers come in and they're the ones we know about. Farage went on. Anybody who enters the country via these means should never be granted refugee status. Asked about his position on introducing new safe and legal routes to claim asylum in the UK, Farage instead started to blame immigrants for a lack of available doctor appointments. Our population has risen by over 8 million since 2002. Is it any wonder you can't get GP appointments? The roads are full. You can't get your kids onto the local primary schools. There was fury across the political spectrum over the interview. Anti-Brexiter author Nick Tyrone asked why he had been booked. Genuine question. Given Nigel Farage has retired from politics and is a pundit on a rival network, why does the BBC keep platforming him? And byline Times journalist Adam Binkov appeared outraged by the timing of the appearance. Nigel Farage on the world at one spreading bile about a flood of migrants coming to the UK the day after an immigration centre in Dover was attacked with petrol bombs, he tweeted. On Monday afternoon, the Home Office was accused of a deliberate decision to allow overcrowding at the Maston Centre, potentially to send a signal to people looking to cross the channel. A source close to former Home Secretary Priti Patel has argued that overcrowding was avoided while she was in post, as staff would book more hotels to prevent it. However, just weeks into Braverman's new role, there are reports of dangerous scenes at Maston, why families are meant to briefly stay there while awaiting processing. Some have apparently been there for weeks. 
The UK government has effectively criminalized migrants seeking asylum by casually referring to those people landing on the south coast as accessing the country illegally. Oblivious to public reaction from our nearest neighbours, successive British governments have continually heaped blame on the French for not doing enough to prevent migrants from crossing the channel. Post-Brexit, what incentive has France got to stop people leaving their country now that the UK has left the EU, apart from the millions of pounds given to France over the past four years as a bung? If the situation was reversed, will it be realistic to assume that Kent police will stop migrants leaving Dover and its surrounding beaches and heading for the French coast? By leaving the EU, the country has in effect created another level of isolation from our nearest neighbours, which also happens to be one of the largest trading blocks on the planet. This madness was mendaciously orchestrated over a 30-year period by a small group of political reactionaries and wealthy business people who were ideologically adverse to regulation, bigger states, workers' rights and restrictions on financial libertarian principles. In order to achieve this aim, they co-opted half the UK population by convincing them that the EU was responsible for all the country's social, economic and political woes in a campaign of deluded collusion. In political terms, it was the right wing of the Conservative Party who were the biggest winners by electing as their past three leaders and therefore the past three prime ministers, ideological allies, the current post holder and adjunct Brexiter, international businessman and coincidentally one of the richest people in the country. Paul Mason, writing in the 2nd November 2022 edition of the New European, sums up the current situation succinctly. There is a poetic justice in the fact that the great failed Tory experiment in populism ended up making the richest politician in Britain prime minister. Enriching the rich was ultimately what Brexit was all about. Sunak and the Brexiters once promised there will be 350 million a week for the NHS. That's 18 billion a year. On November 17th, he will need to find at least double that amount in tax rises and spending cuts. There is also poetic justice in the Great British Public's collective realization that Brexit for all is taking back control over ready deals and pots of additional money for the NHS sold those who voted to leave a pub. Despite immigration taking center stage in the pre-referendum debates and unfounded claims that Eastern Europeans were undercutting British workers, the subject barely registers in the mind of voters over six years after the referendum. Vast numbers of EU citizens have left the country in the past three years, causing a shortage of workers in essential occupations, which in turn has put exceptional and destabilizing pressures on the economy. The decline in inward migration from the EU has resulted in an increase in those coming to the UK from India and the Far East. There is barely a peep from those who place immigration at the top of their concerns, unless, of course, it is migrants arriving from across the channel, with the exception of a minority of voters for whom migration of any sort will always be their priority concern and the rabbit right-wing press, 
What is foremost on people's minds is whether they can afford to eat, heat their homes, and if they still have a job by the time spring arrives. Since the COVID-19 pandemic and Britain's exit from the EU, the number of people of working age has fallen by an estimated 1 million. Half of these were from other parts of Europe who had now returned and the other half were UK nationals between the ages of 50 and 65 who have left the workforce due to long-term ill health or have taken early retirement. This means that there is a massive labour shortage in a country with the lowest unemployment for 50 years, leading to unfilled vacancies in the health service, care, hospitality, just to name a few. It is now evident to most people that the only way these vacancies are ever going to be filled is by an increase in immigration, whether this government or successive ones want to acknowledge that unavoidable fact or not. The provocative demonic language used liberally by politicians who you would think should know better seeps into the everyday vernacular and encourages those with views once considered extreme to indulge in antagonistic behavior that increasingly descends onto violence against people and property. Attacks on immigrants, hostels, hotels and reception centers are on the increase and those objecting to people with power and influence are derided as woke, enemies of the people, lacking common sense and other variants of perceived cancel culture, criticizing an individual who is deemed to have acted or spoken in an unacceptable manner. Those who only read the conservative right-wing press would be forgiven for assuming that Britain is the only country in Europe or the world that is soft enough to allow anyone access to the country without applying through official routes. Every country is subjected to people crossing borders to access what they assume will be a better life in reality. It is not possible for a would-be asylum seeker to enter the country except by risking their life as the UK government has made it impossible to do otherwise. As Guy Vance tells it, moving from one country to another has continued for millennia and shows no sign of stopping, only increasing. Conveniently swept to one side in the debate, often rapid in its ferocity over the country being invaded and swamped by immigrants, is that most of the millions of the migrants transversing the planet are not heading for the UK at all. European countries bordering the Mediterranean have become resigned to accepting that Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of migrants are going to arrive on their shores in the future. For an increasingly insular, post-Brexit isolationist nation like the UK, there is the perpetual myth continually posited that somehow, as if by magic, the influx of migrants to those shores can be slowed, curtailed and eventually stopped altogether. This rationale is for the birds, yet is promulgated, repeated and amplified ad infinitum by the government and their reactionary media mouthpieces to the extent it takes on a life of its own and is promoted as an incontrovertible fact. Albanians most of whom are declared as criminals, are the latest in a long list of demonized foreign nationals flooding the country. Not so long ago, 
Romanians were vilified for using Britain for their own economic benefits. And before them, it was Poles undercutting the hardworking Brits. Many Polish and Romanian citizens have departed the UK due to Brexit and the pandemic or relocated to other EU countries where they receive a less frosty welcome. Thousands of Albanians attended a rally in London on November 12th, asking the government to respect them as people and their rights and to stop demonizing them as criminals. Home Secretary Suela Braverman had persistently singled out Albanians as accounting for the largest percentage of migrants into the UK. Using ill-tempered and provocative language in an attempt to distract attention away from our own feelings in the post. The Daily Mail at the forefront of the demonstration coverage expressed outrage that Albanians draped their flag over the statue of Winston Churchill in the Parliament Square on Remembrance Day as an insult to those who died fighting for their country in wars and conflict zones. There is no evidence that any flags were draped over the statue, only around the plinth. But they let that anomaly get in the way of a good story to stir up its readers. What the mail didn't mention in the article, and which even older readers have forgotten, was the continual and appeasing support the paper gave to Hitler and the Nazis throughout the 1930s right up until September 3rd, 1939. Predictably, and jumping onto the bandwagon, Nigel Farage didn't resist the opportunity to attack the demonstration to play to his devotees and experts on all asylum matters tweeting. These people care nothing for our country or the sacrifices of the past. What is happening in London today is a disgrace. Provocation from populist governments around the world have been increasing over the years and the UK ruled by the Conservative Party since 2010 is no exception. Anti-immigrant sentiment supported by toxic language and championed by parts of the media and press is deliberately designed to goad elements of the population into supporting draconian action and legislation. It is therefore surprising that some of the most ardent reactionaries towards migrants in the current government and recent manifestation of it contain home secretaries of immigrant heritage. Priti Patel is the daughter of Ugandan Asians who came to UK in the late 1960s while Swela invasion Breverman's parents were of Indian origin from Kenya and Mauritius. Both sets of parents came to the UK not as asylum seekers but as economic migrants wanting a better life for themselves and their children. With an awareness which is staggering and with a complete lack of irony, Braverman said that a trade deal with India will actually increase migration to the UK when Indians already represented the largest group of people who overstayed their visas. Both Patel and Braverman regard themselves as the children of the empire and as their parents arrived in the UK legally, should therefore be regarded in a totally different way to those that enter the country on an inflatable dingy. Both have used inflammatory language to demonstrate their ruthless credentials to elements of the British public. Theresa May, when she was the previous Home Secretary, coined the term 
hostile environment to describe people who came from the Caribbean legally as children decades ago had threats of deportation plastered to the side of a lorry which drove around London encouraging the public to shop anyone they thought was here illegally. The ruse worked. It ruined thousands of lives. People lost their jobs, homes, friends and on occasion subjected to illegal and inhumane deportation orders and shipped to countries they have never visited since they left years before. Unsurprisingly, people who originated from Canada, Australia and New Zealand and who were predominantly white were not subjected to hostile environment, harassment and the deportation scheme and had also been long-term taxpayers in the UK. As a precursor to the only option available to enter the country as a refugee or migrant, illegally. The May's home office policy was undoubtedly to make life for a certain section of society as uncomfortable, unpleasant and degrading as possible for those long-term residents here legally in an attempt to discourage those attempting or just thinking about crossing the channel from embarking on the voyage in the first place. Trying to halt unauthorized or illegal immigration to give it the colloquial oxymoron description. It will not work anymore that King Canute succeeded in attempting to stop the tide coming in. For the men, women and children escaping war, conflict, strife, oppression, famine, drought and associated ravages of climate change, returning to these unappealing options is not preferable to drowning at sea. Harrowing images have shown people reaching out through barricades, sleeping on floor mats and cold and hungry children sharing blankets at the refugee temporary holding area at Maston in Kent, where there have been reported outbreaks of diphtheria, a disease now rare in the UK. The government has come under criticism for allowing 4,000 people to be held at the Maston Centre, which is designed to hold no more than 1,600 asylum seekers for only a few days. Commenting on the length of time people were being held at the centre, the policing minister, Chris Phillip, told Times Radio, if people choose to enter a country illegally and unnecessarily, it's a bit of a cheek to then start complaining about the conditions when you've illegally entered the country without necessity. Responding to Philip's comments, Enver Solomon, the chief executive of the Refugee Council, said, These comments are misguided and fail to acknowledge the appalling conditions and Maston that MPs and the government's own inspectorates, as well as many others, have described as alarming and wretched. The fact remains there is nothing illegal about crossing the channel to claim asylum in the UK. This is a fundamental right enshrined in the UN Refugee Convention that the UK was one of the founding signatories of. Tim Now Hilton, Refugee Action Chief's executive, said, Chris Phillips' comments not only reflect the refusal by the government to accept responsibility for the humanitarian crisis at Maston, but also the callous attitude of ministers to people who urgently need protection. The casual use of language by ministers like Chris Phillips, 
which devalues and dehumanizes the experiences of people seeking asylum, creates a context of fear and hatred that could have catastrophic consequences, like the tragic attack in Dover last weekend. Both Liberal Democrats, Labour and surprisingly, a number of Conservative MPs criticized Philip's comment as revealing a shocking and callous complacency over the disaster unfolding at Maston. Philip subsequently backtracked on his initial remarks to Times Radio saying there had been a misunderstanding that had led to people arriving in London from Manston without accommodation or warm clothing, resulting in them sleeping rough. There is nothing beyond irony, beyond even perverse, when the denizens of a nation that occupied half the world by force enslaved or subjugated their indigenous populations, have the cheek to use Chris Phillips' words, complain that the descendants of those self-same invaded peoples have the audacity to gain access to the holy sacrament of the hallowed great British mainland. It is often overlooked by those that claim without evidence that they are 100% British or English, that migration into Europe was not only one way. Britain and to a lesser extent France and Spain completely colonized North America and Australasia in an influx of millions of Europeans over several centuries that swamped and decimated the indigenous inhabitants of both these sparsely populated continents without a thought to what they were doing. Both Land masses were deemed empty and required civilizing by the superior Europeans. Whereas Australasia was used as a penal colony to dump convicts from Britain, America was seen initially as an escape from religious persecution and later as an economic opportunity to be exploited. A policy that continues with the proposal to send current migrants and asylum seekers to Rwanda for what is euphemistically referred to as processing. But in reality, they have as much chance of returning to the UK shores as the convicts transported to Australia several centuries ago. At the heart of this wallowing nostalgia is the British love affair with a glorious past that must never be forgotten. This was a time when the country had an empire, won wars all by itself, made lots of stuff that was exported all around the world, and immigrants, asylum seekers and refugees didn't trouble the collective psyche. Those 60, 70, 80 and 90-year-olds safely ensconced in their comfortable homes in white flight parts of the country, small towns and villages unaffordable to everyone, apart from those lucky enough to have paid off their mortgage years before and the recipients of a final salary, index-linked pension scheme, abiding their time and living their life in comparative luxury whilst waiting for the end, satisfied in the knowledge that they've got their country back and have returned to the land of their childhood and everything is as it should be. 
One day, those plucky Brits who feel that their country isn't theirs anymore and no longer want to live here may decide that the only option available to them is to upstick and flee or live out their days and die in the country where they have taken back control, but in actuality haven't, despite it being still habitable. They will become migrants themselves, making their way to the port of Dover with its plethora of nearly new inflatable dinges moored up to the quayside. Once aboard, they set sail on a fine day with a sea calm and hammer across the channel. Nigel Farage leading the armada on its benevolent invasion of the French coast. In the distance, they sight a series of large banners stretching across the entrance to the port of Calais and continuing along the coast for as far as the eye can see. Written in large letters, the legends, Welcome British, we love you, conveniently written in English as an expression of genuine sincerity. This has been Grace Upper for Raza, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. See you on the next episode. Be positive. Bye for now. If you've got any questions or inquiries, you can get in touch rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com or our social media platforms rising above shadows of abuse at TikTok rising above shadows of abuse Twitter rising above abuse YouTube rising above shadows of abuse